Hello, I am here with the wonderful Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with the amazing Maury Boise Barlin. How are you this week, Maury? I'm terrific, and I just want you to know that your campaign, I'm managing your campaign, you're my candidate for the Minister of Ageing, the new minister, it's going very well. We've got a lot of interest. Well, I'm, I'm campaigning for you to be Minister for the Arts. Oh. Yeah, no, I've had a good think about it, and then we can combine both. Wow, I like your plan. This is it. So we've got to find a gig for Ash, and he can do the ads and the music, the jingles. Did the music definitely? <laughs> hey, did you have a listen to the wonderful Dr. Jessica Zitter? What did you What did you take away from from her words? I really enjoyed the. I've got to say, I enjoyed that whole interview. Mm. I really loved the questions. I loved. Um, I loved the depth that they got to. I. It was. I, in me, I just keep seeing so many parallels with everything she was saying and um, and the experience of working in aged care, just the whole idea of our humanness, I think. Storage facilities? Oh, that, that really – but I, I now I listened to that really carefully and if you listen mm. to what she's saying, she's not even necessarily – and let's talk about long-term care in America is a little different – yeah, okay. It, she wasn't just talking about older people who need a bit more support moving into a place and getting the support they need. She was talking about people who are in ICU yes. and a part of their body breaks down and then other parts break down and they're on machines, usually not even conscious. And then those people are placed into institutions because they can't remain in ICU. So... As soon as I heard her say that, I went, and then I really Mm. thought about it. And she wasn't, she was talking about people in general who they'd thought, this is a great idea. We can keep them alive on 10 different machines and they're not conscious. And then Mm. these bodies do have to go somewhere. So I don't, did you feel that she was talking about aged care? I didn't, but it made me think. It made me think about the way the model works that we're using largely here in the country that that we are putting people in a situation that is sold as white wine being served at tables and at a golf course and lifestyle and it's it's not living up to that and i feel that we are putting people in situations where it's just to prolong the life until the end and and I I don't like the term storage facilities but it was such an affront to me initially that I really felt strongly yeah it was confronting and and I know that she didn't mean that but it got me thinking about the way we are um housing our elders in in residential aged care and I, I think we can do better that's all yeah I I agree with you Moz I I I think it's part of all of the conversations that you and I have seem to have a common thread and I think it is around there's this group of excluded people who um, who don't fit this mould and I tell you it's an ever-narrowing window, I think, of these healthy, fit, young people that the whole system is set up for, that the law is set up for, that the economy and policies are set up for. We're so terrified of what it means to be human and what it means to be human means being in these bodies 
with these brains and these bodies that invariably in one way or another break down. That's what it is to be human. Somehow we've treated the kind of frailty or disability that comes with aging and getting older as as almost like a failure as yeah. a failure of the medical system as a failure of of a personal failure on their behalf did they not look after themselves well enough you know i think to embrace this vulnerability that is being human so that we can start to develop policies and systems and tax systems and funding systems and living systems and parks and transport that actually accommodate who we are that don't deny life. Yeah. You know, I think that's – and which is death as well, which is part of life. The the point – what what I take away from what you just said, Daniela, is – you know, I, there's a term quality of life that we use, and I don't use that term because I think it's about quality of living because living is an active form of the word. And and this idea that people, you know, people go there to die, you know, this constant thing. If, if people don't experience growth whilst they're living, if they don't have hope whilst they're living, then you are truly dying. And and I think particularly now in this um, the COVID curtain that's descended upon us, you know, it's two and a half years now of, of, of no hope, of no end. And, and I think that more than ever, more than ever, we need to, to find solutions. But I guess that's another podcast um, No, I, th- I, I think it's all part of the same thing, Rory. I think, um, yeah? yeah, I do. I think it's all, of, it's, it's all about we're going to just have to stop. And, you know, last time we were saying, what, how do we want to grow old together in Australia? Is, is this really what we want for ourselves? I mean, if you think about, I, I was thinking, because a lot of people are talking about workforce now and, um, and yeah, in, in, in the aged care industry and how we're losing people. And you and I are both passionate about the idea that, of course, you need to, to pay these workers more. But something that Jessica said around, um, and it's to do with the humanity that we've just been talking about. She described as a healthcare, her, her experience as a healthcare professional when she was called upon to kind of disengage and just treat people like a technician in the, in the end of their life on this conveyor belt, that that disengagement was morally distressing and exhausting, that she found mm. herself exhausted by... By, by by working that way and treating other humans human beings that way, but when she had human to human interactions, and and she found her own humanity and connected with another person's humanity, that that was actually life giving. It was less draining of her yes, humanity and strength engaging in that. How important is that as a takeaway as we focus on the workforce? We've got these countless workforce committees and and experts talking about the aged care workforce without anyone really looking at how these staff are, are, are kind of called upon to disengage, forced to hurry through these care routines, forced to boss other adults around for their own good and how that is what really exhausts and morally depletes people. Yes, I, I you know, that that is so true. I, I recall speaking to um, a, a, a member of staff who I really like, you know, is a lovely, mm-hmm. warm-hearted person, and she was quite, you know, in, you know not in a good place in, in the lunchroom, mm-hmm. and we spoke. 
And, you know, we talked about, I said, she said, I can't even make eye contact with somebody because if I do, it draws them into a conversation. And if I do that, I can't finish, wow. I can't leave. So so I can't. So I go in and I don't look at them and then I walk out and I think, I got into this to connect with older, older as people to care for them. You know, this, this is all us up, you know. That's such a powerful, such a powerful story. And that story, if you get the Workforce Council and they're looking at how to attract and retain people in aged care, they only need to look at the research. And the research mm. time and time again says that what staff most value about their job in aged care is exactly what you said, is their relationships with residents. And so, and I read in the newspaper a staff member being interviewed and she said, yeah, yeah, give us more money, but more importantly, give us more hours, give us more staff. And she's not saying give us more staff because she wants, like, Mm. she wants to be able to have those moments where she can look into another human being's eyes and connect on a deep level. Can you imagine your friend driving home from work that day, just having that deep, exhausted sense of distress, that deep Mm. undercurrent of distress. And I know it, having been a carer, when you have to work with people's bodies that quickly, it is morally distressing. So I would call upon anyone out there who's any way involved in workforce strategy to counter in, yes, of course, we need to pay people more, but count the cost, the human cost, of what this is doing to aged care workers out there who can't connect, who can't have that connection that Jessica was talking about and will have that moral distress and exhaustion. That has to be considered when workforce strategy is considered. So it goes, it goes even deeper, you know, like I'm just thinking about what you're saying, which I 100% agree with. And, and if, then we think about the elder themselves sitting in a space of disconnect. And then we yeah. see the families who are then concerned and worried and don't feel that, and they can't get the staff's attention. So this just spirals. It, it spirals out to a large ball of problems. You know? And yet everyone's don't... painting this picture, like even having, you know, painting this picture that we just need to have a great art program and everything will be all right, mm. or we just need to make them laugh after lunch in the activity. And you see movies with uh, young children and older people and, and connecting like that, and that all sounds like a great idea, and it really is, but not the when time. they're rested. But, but when they go, yeah, you're there for a short yeah. period of time, and if it's not backed up, yep. it's just a moment in time, and it's not enough of a moment no. to change all those hormones, those cortisol pumping around and oh, it, it, yes. it really needs a shift. Yes, Maury, the rest of their days are a nightmare of disconnect and having their bodies turned, worked with like that. So I feel that sometimes those stories, those stories are a bit of a cover-up, you know, to what's really happening in there. And, you know, when she said the word humility as a doctor mm. and an ICU physician and palliative care expert, saying that the secret is is confronting and admitting that uncertainty that's part of end-of-life care and, and part of healthcare in general. That humility is the antithesis of that kind of 
medical heroics, those medic and medical professions, and aged care even find that really difficult to say we don't have all of the answers. We just yeah. have to step into that kind of humanness and approach it's people with that curiosity. She said curiosity. I thought you'd love that, Mark. Yes, I did. That. I was going to mention that. Yes, thank you. I, uh, curiosity, and 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 you know, I talk. It's that's my word. I love that word, and, and from that flows yeah. all sorts of things. Oh, as an artist, you do it naturally. I, I've seen shots of you interacting, you're genuinely open to, well, what's going to happen next, you know, to sort of how are they going to react? And then and then it's all without judgment. It's all like, well, I wonder what will terms happen. is what. Yeah. It, it, the equal term, and I guess what I like about, and this is what improvisation, you would understand being a musician and as would others that are, you know, that improvisation where you don't know what's going to happen and someone picks something up. It's the novelty of that that changes the mundane, you know, and if we think about the novelty yeah. and the unexpected that we need in life, for life to be really interesting, we I think we would accept that people are unsure. And I love it when a doctor says, like, I really am unsure about the answer to that. I'm just, yeah, what a great, yeah. like, I'm just thank heavens we've got a clinician of this with this huge moral heart. That's lovely, this huge moral heart. You like it? You can use that. Make yeah, a t-shirt. yeah, I love it. It's That's beautiful. your campaign slogan. <laughs> got it. Daniela Greenwood, a huge moral heart. My, uh, mine's going to be my integrity is beyond question, but that, that's a bit dodgy. But anyway, um, advanced care planning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see that was interesting that she said, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, she did. She, it's a fantastic idea, but um, it hasn't worked out that way. It hasn't. Mm, why? It hasn't turned out that um, <clears throat> that people. I, she used the word, and I wrote this down. Hang on. Goal concordant care. They haven't ended up with oh. end of life care that is consistent with their goals. But but she said that was kind of a combination between that, you know, patients expecting every, you know, all of these. They've probably seen too much ER or or house to think mm. all of these life saving events. <clears throat> but but as Ash pointed out, that just having that conversation is important. But Maurice, yes. do you know it made me think? Did you know Norman Swan? He does oh, of a, a course. I listen. great health yes. matters. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did, um, and I contacted him to try and get the name of the study, but he couldn't remember it. But I heard him talk about a study where he that he gave um, two age groups were given this hypothetical scenario, and I may have even spoken about this before because it really, but it really fits here. They researched these two age groups of people, and they were given. Um, a hypothetical scenario about a, a crisis in healthcare. And they were asked what level of functioning they were prepared to live with in order to live just a few more years, whether it be immobility, sight, being bedridden. And people in their 30s and 40s had a much lower limit of disability that they would be prepared to live with. But people in their 80s and 90s were really happy to live with quite a considerable amount of, of reduction in functioning in order to stay alive for a few more years. So wow. it seems that, that, yeah, it seems that, if it, I don't know what it says except that maybe older people, um, as they've experienced a bit of reduced functioning, um, have a clearer sense of the difference between doing and being that we can't quite see right now. <laughs> Yeah. As we're younger, you know, so that I don't know if that plays into it in terms of um, 
are, well, are people changing? I think we have expectations as, okay, so like if I look at my own experience with our family trying to get, you know, mum and help help mum and, and later dad, mm-hmm. and then if I reflect on some people that I know, family members that I, you know, am close, working closely with, with their, their loved ones, and and there was this gentleman that had this continued idea that his lovely wife with Parkinson's, if they could just get the medication right, she would get better. Yeah. This is totally unrealistic expectation of what would happen, that she wasn't, she was going to, in fact, decline. And I think those conversations, you know, those end-of-life conversations are really important because it does make you address that. But I, I'm kind of curious because I, I can see it, with younger people, but what do we do when we've got a partner the, the same age as, as the loved one in residential aged care with these unrealistic expectations and they haven't had the end of life um, talk and they put um, they, to, be re, to be resuscitated when you know that someone is going to have a pretty awkward end, you know, as they sail through. And I wonder sometimes whether that not that for resuscitation is the wish of of the the elder that's in question I don't know if that makes sense and if that's the right you know it makes heaps of sense I I think Jessica had such a fantastic um, response to that again we need humility when people move in at the moment we do all these assessments and pretend we've got all the answers even for people with dementia Mm. you know we manage behaviors like we're the experts and, and it's just nonsense it's I think Having that humility at the beginning saying, we're going to experience this together. We're not always going to get it right. Um, but guess what? It'll be trial and error. And, um, and I, it's part of that accepting again of, of the human condition and, and that humility. But she said when, when you're talking to people like that, and even she used, uh, working with people who still believed in miracles, but she said, kind of approach them with a, a curiosity and humility. I I loved that, and yeah, I loved sorry, that too. I, I I I it reminded me of a moment I had with a fellow. Let's uh, Harry, who was a very hard man, and I mm-hmm. was not given that I would connect with him, and I did. I managed to form quite a connection, and he spoke about his father one day. He was very lonely. He was isolated from his his family had disengaged from him and he never, mm-hmm. he never saw them anymore. And um, he was in a different, lived in a different state in Australia at the time. And I, I was working with him and we, he'd spoken about his father and it, was an, a, it went somewhere where I wasn't expecting and he cried, you know, and I sat with him and we talked about it. And then he looked at me and he talked about, you know, the end because he knew that, you know, he's breathing, he was having great difficulty staying alive. And I, I said to, I looked at him and I thought, it's here we are. It's here's the moment of knowing, as I call it. He mm-hmm. he knows that he's going, and he wanted to talk about it, or he put it out there. So I said, "Is there anything that you want me to do, or anyone you want me to connect with when you go?" And he went, "No, mate, I'm I'm good." And then I looked at him, and he had quite a large selection of Hawaiian shirts in his wardrobe. And I said, "If, <laughs> if it's okay with you, do you think that I could have one of those Hawaiian shirts?" And he looked at me. <laughs> And he tilted his head and he said, it wouldn't suit you, buddy. And then he gave me that wink and that grin that says, I know and thank you. And it was just when we shook hands after that, it was the firmest 
handshake I'd experienced and, and he really looked into my eyes. You know, that moment of knowing. And I think that's what we all want too. We also want to be able to talk about how we yeah. feel or have an open conversation when we know it's imminent, when we know it's here, because people talk around it. Yeah. And, and you know, people are very scared about talk. And I think the older generation generally is fine about it. Don't interrogate what I'm saying, but the older generation are generally better at talking about yeah, death. They I do agree. death better than we do. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's a gift that I've been given from working on the floor to have been with people, many people, um, when they die. And mm. I'm less afraid of death now than I was before I'd um, been witness and part of that, for sure. So I've... I've I feel I've got a whole lot of strength, even for my own family, that I didn't have before I started working in aged care. Yeah, that's 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 a really that's a really good thing. I think I maybe I feel the same too. I think I've my my I mean my family's my mum is always very good about talking about death. It's something that we did. On a positive note, what's your take home message on this? Well, death and dying. I. I keep thinking about the carers and the personal carers I know and the work that they do around death and dying and really managing and caring about people's legacy, the legacy of their memory, what caged care workers do with people's bodies and and their hair and putting flowers in their hands, knowing that the family are visiting, they're so sensitive and an expert really at at working working in that moment of death to make sure that the people around the older person have a good experience too it's a it's a deep skill and it's deep work and and i think that they're amazing at what they do around death a lot of the personal carers i've worked with are just absolutely incredible in that respect yeah, I think it's so true. There's some beautiful, beautiful stuff in what Jessica said and uh, it, it would be good for people, you know, to look more at what palliative care means and what it is mm. and have some of those conversations. Hey, really, um, as usual, really good talking to you, Minister. <laughs> it's so fantastic talking to you and I loved the interview and loved our conversation and really look yeah. forward to speaking with you again next week. Here, here. All right. Well, you take care and I'll see you next week. You too. Over and out.